I opened with this scripture simply to tell you that some of the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders now arrived in Jerusalem to interview Jesus. Always remember this, any time there was an interview, there were ulterior motives. The religious leaders never came honestly to Jesus except for who? Chapter, exactly, thank you, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. I believe Nicodemus came sincerely. I think he came scared. I think he came at night. I think he didn't want anybody to know he came, but he came sincerely, okay? And later on, he does show up. He is a secret follower of Jesus, and how open that became, I do not know, but I do know he is mentioned uh, onward later in the Gospels, and uh, they believe he was very much a part of the scene of the book of Acts. Now, whenever the Pharisees came, they came with one purpose, to kill. And it's so sad. It's so sad because they could have gotten so much from Jesus. Never mind so much. He was the answer to their dreams. He was the answer to the prophecy. He was the Messiah that they so longed for and waited for. He was the reason for every type and shadow in the Old Testament. He was that which God laid out. And, and let us know that this, this was just a, it, it was just, what shall we say? It was just a picture of what was to come. So now Jesus comes and they don't even pay attention to him. And they don't pay attention for the same reasons that we don't pay attention. And you know why we don't pay attention? Because we're into ourselves. Who wants to hear of anybody else's trouble when you have so much trouble? You hear, are you hearing me? Who cares? It's so strange because when things do not touch us in particular, they become very unimportant. But the Jews determined, and let me tell you something else, they formed a coalition. Now that's a very modern word, okay? That's what we form today. You know what a coalition is? When a lot of little guys want to get together to beat a big guy, then you make a coalition, okay? It has nothing to do with what you feel or what you believe. It, ha it just has to do with the killing. Okay? And that's the way it goes. And so they got together. And let me tell you why I can prove this. The Pharisees could not see the Sadducees. They hated them. They hated them. They could not see them. They could not see them. You say, well, why? Weren't they two big religious groups? Yeah. But listen to the their difference was as different as heaven and earth. The Pharisees believed in heaven, and the Sadducees didn't. The Pharisees believed in, uh, in whatever the, the word and the law taught, but the Sadducees were quite modern. They did not. In other words, it was over. When it was over here, it was over. And then we have a peculiar group. Remember this name, the Herodians. Now, those were the politicians, those were the ones that wanted to make it good with the Jews and good with the government. Political Christians. Jews, rather. In other words, they wanted to be the ones to say, oh, no, we're not as strict as the Pharisees. We're not as liberal as the Sadducees. We're Herodians. We walk the middle. Okay? No, they were just as sick as the other two. Had their own reasons and their own purposes. Let me tell you how this fight goes on and on and on. 
And it seems to never end, and it doesn't end in three years. It doesn't end. It ends at Calvary, which is so sad. Yet we know that Calvary was not the plan of the Herodians, and it was not the plan of the Sadducees, and it was not the plan of the Pharisees. It was God's plan. So don't ever feel sorry when you see Jesus on Calvary. Don't ever feel sorry. Don't ever say, oh, oh, it shouldn't have happened. No, no, no. This is what he came to do for us. The only ones we have to pity when we look at Calvary is mankind, us. Because that was done for us. Okay? Now, the Pharisees are the first ones that determined, this is interesting, we want to kill him without murdering him. That's interesting, right? They want a clean job. Now, what do they mean by a clean job? Well, if he can condemn himself, then we don't have to condemn him. Isn't that interesting? So let's get him to say something that's wrong. But listen, really wrong. And they try one dumb way. But the way they try, matter of fact, the three ways that are tried, folks, sparks national pride. Now watch out. They say to Jesus, is it right to give, pay taxes to Caesar? Now you've got to realize the feeling of the Jews with Rome. You've got to feel that undercurrent, which they wish they could overthrow Rome. Matter of fact, can I tell you something, folks? This comes out of the book of Josephus and the studies of history. And Josephus was the historian of the time of Jesus, a secular historian. He was not a Christian. So he recorded just facts, okay? And out of Josephus, it tells us uh, and it explains uh, this intrinsic battle that the Pharisees had with Jesus. And it's very clear, very clear. And it also, Josephus is the one that tells us, and this is interesting, Rome trembled at the tiny little piece of country called Palestine. Rome trembled at Palestine. Because they had more uprising in Palestine than in any other part of the Roman Empire. Doesn't that sound strange? That a tiny little piece of land that isn't even 100 by what, 35 or 38? That a little piece of land like that could cause so so many riots. And it did. Well, just figure on this, folks. When, When in the book of Acts they speak about the uprising in just their own years... They speak about a Judas, they speak about a Tildus, they speak about a... They mention three names in a run when Gamaliel is trying to defend the disciples and he's telling the Jews, uh, listen, so-and-so rose and he's disappeared and -and so-and-so rose and he's disappeared and -and so-and-so, everybody that rises disappears. So if this isn't of God, it's going to disappear, so cool it. And if it is of God, watch out. Watch out, because then nobody can stop it. So the question is, should we give taxes and pay taxes to Rome? Now, if you're a real Jew, you'll say no. But it's not a matter of being a real Jew. Living in America is not a matter of waving an American flag. And because you wave it, you pay the taxes. Whether you wave the flag or you don't wave the flag, you better pay the taxes. Because they will get you. And that's the way it is. There's just no out. And so they say to Jesus, should we pay taxes? And they're hoping that the people will see that he's not really a Jew. Oh, I love the way he handled it. These incidents are so classical, folks. 
he says, hand me a coin. And they give him one of the smallest. And he says, who's on this coin? I think it's Lincoln on our penny, right? Who's on this coin? And they say, that's Caesar. Well, then he says, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and unto God what belongs to God. It depends on the seal. It depends on the seal. Whose face is on that? Caesar's? Give it to Caesar. And the Jews are just... What do you do with an answer like that? What do you do with an answer like that? Folks, baseball would not have been a game for Jesus because he had all bases covered and a home run coming through, grand slam. Never missed, never missed, never missed. And they look at him and wonder, well, what, what does he mean? Well, hey, and what is Jesus saying to him? Don't mix the issues. And that's why we're always in trouble. We mix the issues. That's why some folks that don't feel we're Pentecostal, they're missing the issues. And what is the issues? The issues are very plain. It's, it's the word or emotion. It's, it's, it's hop, skip, and jump, or, or doing what God wants you to do and moving at the pace that God wants you to move. And I see it clearly that way. I see it clearly. And what he's telling them is don't mess, don't, don't mess with the issues. If this belongs to the government and those taxes have to be paid, hey, you pay them. But give God what's God's, what belongs to God. Whether you like it or not, your spirit belongs to God. Whether you like it or not, your heart belongs to God. Whether you like it or not, your very life belongs to God. Because you breathe and have your being because he is God. Whether you accept that or don't accept it, well, that's your problem. But it's so, it's so precious to just uh, grab a hold of this thought and send it home in your heart. Jesus is simply telling them, don't mess the issues. Don't mix them. Don't mix them. When the Sadducees see how badly the Pharisees have failed, they look at the Pharisees and they say, wait a minute. This is the coalition. Remember the coalition, folks. We'll handle it. We'll handle it. And you know what the Sadducees, they gave that dumb story, and it is the dumbest story in the Bible. The Bible has a lot of dumb stories. It has to do with people. But this is the dumbest. It's the man that dies... And leaves a widow without a child, and especially without a man-child. What does the law say? She must marry the next brother. Yeah. And she did. Do you know how many brothers she married according to the Sadducees? Seven. Seven. Isn't that interesting? Now, you know that's a lie. If I were the third brother, I would have skipped the country. <laughs> you would have found me not even the dust off of my heels. This is a lady. She's a killer. <laughs> seven, seven brothers go down. And then they come up with the tremendous question, of who will she belong to in heaven? Mira que cosa. Just think of it. Just think of it. And I love Jesus. Oh, I love my Jesus. Listen to what he says. You err. You make mistakes. You make mistakes. You err because you do not know two major things. You don't know the word of God and you don't know the power of God. And let me tell you something. It's through the word that you get to know the power. It's the word that gives you the power. Let me put it that way. You don't know either of them. And then Jesus says something that kind of sparks something 
I remember when Joe first heard it, he says, I don't know if I like that. In heaven, we will not live as we live down here. It will not be a society of sexes. No, we'll be like the angels. Somebody said, I don't know if I, I don't know. We, isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't it something? Men say, no, I want to be a man in heaven. What do you mean? <laughs> and the pretty lady says, no, I want to be a lady in heaven. Maybe like Scarlett O'Hara, right? The big dresses come back. And we would prance around a lovely heaven. No, it's not going to be either way. Why? Because we'll be like God, we'll be spirit. We don't fully understand that. And it creates sort of a vacuum in our mind and it creates another vacuum in our spirit. Because you see, we're so human and we're so fleshy and we're so earthy that to think that something's going to be taken away, but it's not going to be taken away. It's going to be transformed. The mortal will take on immortality. And that which is earthy will take on that which is heavenly. Okay? So Jesus said, you err. In other words, hey, fellas, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know the word. And you know why he was giving it to them? Because the word talks about resurrection. Because it's the word that talks about heaven. Because it's the word that tells us we're spiritual beings. And they declare no. So he says, listen, you're, you're out of the ball game. You, you don't even go by the basics. And they looked at Jesus, and you know what the scripture says? And it's so beautiful. They dared not ask him any more questions. You know why? Because he always had an answer. Always had an answer. And a very good answer. On another occasion, and this is interesting, we're talking about the different groups that come against Jesus. They had their complaints. They had their what shall we say? They had their reasons for wanting to destroy Jesus, but they just couldn't. They just couldn't. And I, I, think, I think the best conversation that's held in the entire Bible, as far as Jesus and who he is and the power of Jesus, is held with Jesus and, and Pilate. Because Pilate gets very startled at this man who is not talkative, at this man who is not yelling out how innocent he is, of this man who is simply not... Uh, in other words, he doesn't talk. He's like a mute. Uh, he doesn't say anything. And Pilate says, don't you realize that I've got the power to kill you? Don't you realize I've got the power to sentence you? Don't you? In other words, if you want to defend yourself, you better defend yourself with me because there isn't anyone else around. I can take your life. Oh, I love Jesus. And, and I, I like what he says. Don't make yourself so important, Mr. Pilate. Because I'm going to tell you the most shocking news in the world. You have no power over me. You have no dominion over me. None whatsoever. My life, I lay it down. And my life, I take it up. For so has the Father ordained it. That's it. There's nothing else involved. Now here in the 15th chapter, once again we're dealing at criticism. Now they're going into the petty stuff, the, the nitty-gritty stuff. Your disciples eat without washing their hands. I remember teaching this to a Sunday school class, and they said, shame, shame, Jesus', Jesus disciples had dirty hands. They had dirty hands. And no, that has nothing to do with dirty hands. This is not, has nothing to do with dirty hands. Yeah. 
If you ever teach children, they are so unique and so special. I was once teaching kids about uh, the, the oh, what, what was it? Uh, oh, about Zacchaeus and how Jesus says, come down, I must go to lunch in your house. And one little girl says, he wasn't invited. And I looked at her and I thought, oh, she's already learned Pearl of Mesta, uh, uh, etiquette from her mother. You don't come unless you're invited. Uh, and children are, are so unique in this way. Now, the, the disciples, listen, listen, to, listen to what's happening. The disciples did not wash their hands, but it had nothing to do with washing your hands to sit down and eat. This was a ceremony. A ceremony. And let me tell you what the ceremonies all said. The ceremonies all said one thing. I am holy. I am pure. That's all it said. Every ceremony brought out the holiness and the purity of who was going through the ceremony. Now, folks, God intended for those ceremonies to teach that. But not that it would make them pure and holy, but that it was God's plan in shadows and types. And when I say shadows and types, it's prefiguring, seeing Calvary in the Old Testament, taking a picture of what God would do in the future so that we could see it in the past. The whole purpose of the Old Testament, folks, is simply an introduction for Jesus. God took all that time, God took those 2,000 years to simply get everything ready for the coming of his son. That's why in Galatians 4.4, when God says to us through Paul, and in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Isn't that precious? No mistakes. No mistakes in the fullness of time. Now, why do, you dis, do you, why do your disciples disobey the ancient Jewish traditions? And Jesus, I, lo, I like this particular scripture because Jesus, I can imagine Jesus saying, I've had it with these fellas. I've had it. I have had it. They want to know why they don't wash their hands. Why? Because it's a tradition. I don't care how many Ten Commandments, uh, they're called uh, in Spanish, filacterias. Uh, okay, the, these, uh, these, these things that hung from their garments, which had the Ten Commandments. And they felt so rich and they felt so regal. And they felt so rich, uh, ritually spiritual with all of this hanging. But what good if it hangs if it's not in your heart? How many people walk the streets with crosses around their neck? They don't live with a cross in their heart. They don't live with the meaning of it. I, I don't, crosses don't bother me. Please, folks. They don't bother me. I love a cross. A cross is the most beautiful symbol of what we believe in today. I have nothing against it. But listen, if you carry it around your neck, make sure you know what it is in your heart. Because Jesus is more than tradition and Jesus is more than symbols. So in this case, tell them to wash their, wash their hands. And he says, no, forget it. This is not what I am teaching them. And then he looks at them and he says, all right, now I've had it with you. Now listen to this. Goes to the nitty gritty. He says, what does the law say about honor thy mother and thy father? You know, folks, if you go to the Bible, you will find out that according to the Bible, there should be no needy people on the face of the earth. According to the Bible, we should not have to warehouse our senior citizens. According to the Bible, it should not happen. Why? Because in the commandment that God gave, honor thy mother and thy father. And it doesn't give stipulations if they're good, if they're bad, if they're healthy, if they're sick. It doesn't give stipulations. 
It simply says, honor thy mother and thy father. And then if you go into the Leviticus and you go into Exodus and you get the breakdown on that, folks, you will understand a little bit more of scripture. You know what the scripture says about the man that has a lot of children, that he fills his quiver with them? And you say, oh, who wants that many kids? Forget it. I mean, your wife has to be a rabbit. No way. But then what does the scripture continue to say? When the enemy comes to his door, he will have no fear. Now, what does that mean? What are we saying? We are saying the following. We are saying that these children will be a blessing. Can I tell you the retirement age of a Jewish father? Does anybody know the retirement age of a Jewish father? Anybody here? Anybody here? You want to take a, you want to take a surprise guess at it? Let me tell you what the retirement age. Soon as your two oldest sons were able to take over the fields and take over all the house, all the duties of a father. Isn't that interesting? You had your kids at, let's say, let's say, let's, let's, let's start doing a little figuring. You had your kids 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Let's say you had seven. Okay? Just figure it this way, folks. Within 17 years, 17 to 20 years, and what would he be, 17, 27, 37 years old? Pop's retired. How many papas here are 37 or over? And you're not retired and don't even intend to get retired, folks, because it doesn't work. Do you hear me? Yes, he was retired. You say, sister, where do you get your information from? I get it from the Bible. I get it from the Bible. It simply says that soon as your boys were old enough to take over, they took over. You became the beautiful, the powerful, and the spiritual patriarch of your house. And if daddy dies, they'd be a matriarch. And she would take over, and God would bless her. Are you hearing me this day? So Jesus hits hard. And he hits hard at the part that they are dealing and wheeling with. Why were they dealing and wheeling? Well, simply, they said, uh, God's law is honor your mother and your father, and anyone who reviles his parents must die. What does that mean? It means that the children were in charge of the parents until the death of the parents. I, I used to have an ongoing joke with my mother because I, I read the scripture and I learned this, and then I kept thinking of my poor mother. If she would have had to wait on me to support her, if she would have had to wait to live, on what I gave her, she wouldn't have died in 79. She would have died in about 59. Are you hearing me? Because that's not the world in which we live today. Do you understand what I mean? And folks, if you take it heavy, if you take it spiritually, you're going to learn a great lesson. You say, well, that's too much of a burden. You know how old people get, and especially old people that don't know the Lord. You know this and you know that. I know everything, folks. But can I tell you something? Always remember that where there is a commandment, where there is a commandment, there is a promise. And this commandment has a tremendous promise. If you honor your mother and your father, he will give you long days on the face of the earth. And with that long days, uh, grace to live and grace to carry the burden and grace to help them. Now Jesus says to these Jews, now listen, this is what God says. This is what the word says. Listen to what you say. Even if your parents are in need, now listen to this. Even if your parents are in need, you may give their support and money to the synagogue instead. Aye. Aye. Now you know why they were so interested, okay? 
And so by your man-made rules, you nullify the direct command of God to honor and care for your parents. You hypocrites. I love that. I love that. No soft soap. You hypocrites. Go home and think of that. Even if they're in need, what were they saying? What were they establishing? They were establishing that the temple... They were establishing that their position as religious leaders, uh, that their place was more important than honoring mother and father. Oh, folks, I love the word of God because it, it, it holds, what shall we say? It tells the truth. Their worship, listen to what Jesus says. These people, Isaiah said it and Jesus repeated it. These people say they honor me, but their hearts are far away. You see, this is why we've got to be so careful that we don't get into a religious circle where we get satisfied simply because we are following religious ceremonies and patterns. Now we've got to have things that we do because we determine we're going to do it. The Christian life has got to have discipline, folks. It's not hop, skip, and jump. There's got to be discipline. You have got to have a disciplined time for reading the word. You've got to have a disciplined time for praying. You've got to have a disciplined time for, for quiet times with God. And folks, uh, if you want to take those quiet times and long walks, whichever way, but you've got to be quiet still away with God. But you've got to have it. These people say they honor me, but their hearts are far away. Why? Because it's so easy to do the traditional it's so easy to come and sit in church, isn't it? It is. But how, is, how easy is it to be the Christian we should be at home? I don't know about you, but home is the hardest place, folks. I'm sorry, it's the hardest place. It's the hardest place. First of all, because all our, what shall we say, everything is let down. I really mean that. Uh, there are no facades. Uh, you know the person. And, and the person can aggravate you to death. And the kids can drive you crazy. And, and a few others can drive you to drink. You know what I mean. I mean, this is a crazy world we live in. Isn't it the truth? But the word of God tells us. Listen to me. You know what the word of God tells us? That in the midst of all of that, we've got, a heart, got our hearts in tune with God. Because whoever is in tune with God can take any situation. Oh, I don't, I don't say they won't get angry. I don't say they won't get flustered. I don't say that they won't get, but there'll be a control. Because if you can discipline your prayer life and you can discipline your quiet time and you can discipline uh, whatever you do for God and un as unto God, if that's a discipline, you don't have anything to worry about. Everything else moves in stride. Listen to what he says. Their hearts are far away. And when your heart is far away, what happens? Your worship is worthless. This is why I believe in confession, folks. And I'm not talking about getting into a box and confessing to somebody. Confession is so necessary, folks. Because the most, I, the, what I want to do most in this world is to worship the Lord. Because, you see, he created me to worship. And when that creation finds its place in him, when that creation finds its place in him, there's a satisfaction that takes hold. And that is the real spirit-filled life. That is the real walk with God. We must shelter our worship. And you shelter your worship 
by keeping your heart right with God. Because if your heart isn't right, your worship is worthless. And then we'll start with the man-made laws instead of those that come from God. Then we'll start pleasing people. We can't. We must please God. Now this is the, this is the crux of it. And Jesus called to the crowd. Now he's not talking to the religious leaders. He's been fighting with them. They've been arguing. Now he just turns away and there's the multitude because the multitude was always listening. And he cries out to the multitude and I love the way he does that. In other words, hey, I've settled this argument with these folks. Now you people, listen to me. Listen to what I say and try to understand. You aren't made unholy by eating non-kosher food. In other words, it's not by the rudiments or traditions that doesn't make you unholy. Listen to this. It's what you say and think that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth. It's what's in your head up here. That's what makes you unclean. Oh, God, make us clean. Make us clean. And the disciples came and told him, you offended the Pharisees by your remarks. In other words, would you stop beating on them? And Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my father shall be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind, and both will fall into a ditch. Jesus to explain what he meant when he said the people are not defiled by non-kosher food. Don't you understand? He said to him, don't you see that anything that eats, that you eat, passes through the digestive tract and out again. Don't confuse the physical process with the spiritual process. Okay? But evil words come from an evil heart. Don't worry about what goes in and comes out. Worry about what goes in here and then kills everybody around you. Okay? But evil words that come from an evil heart and defile the man who says them. For from the heart come evil thoughts of murder, adultery, fornication, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile. But there is no spiritual defilement by eating without first going through the rituals of ceremonial hand washing. Isn't that precious? Always notice this in every argument, Jesus gets back to the original issue. He takes it around. He moves it here. He moves it there. He thoroughly shakes it. And then he comes back and he's got an answer. How did this start off? Why don't your disciples wash their feet? Uh, not their feet. Why don't they wash their hands? And he says, that's not important. And you people always shun the most important things. Because you're dealing simply in what has to do with vision. I deal and my Father in Heaven deals with what has to do with the heart. Get the heart right. Brother and sister, when the heart is right, you don't have to worry about what people think. You don't have to worry about, oh, do, do, do you think they like me? Do you think they don't like me? Forgive me. Who cares? Who cares? Right? The only thing, I, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. But you know what I want to know? I want to know that from heaven, God smiles on me. I want to know that from heaven, God is telling somebody. I don't care who he tells. I want to be able to trust her. That's all. That's all. 
that's all. That we can take a seed and because our heart is pure in its determination to plant it, that we can take that seed. Melissa and Joseph Henry did it a year ago. That girl was an agnostic and she took great pride in letting them know that first of all, her parents were atheists and she was an agnostic. In other words, what is an agnostic? What are we talking about? Hey, those, you know what, agnostic is the nice word of not saying you don't believe. It's a nice word. It's, it's the mental word of saying, I don't, I'm not into that. I really don't. I don't know anything about God. I don't care about God. But look, I'm not an atheist. I'm just not into it. A year later, there's a phone call. A seed was sown. And the scream on the phone says, I'm saved. <laughs> hey, folks, we're going to forget the rituals of the hand washing. We're going to forget taking a few kernels of wheat and throwing it in our mouth. We're going to forget just the little nonsensical incidentals that doesn't save us. We're just going to remember one thing. That it's what we say and think that makes us unclean. And we will to be clean. Say amen. amen. We will to be clean. You say, Sister Amy, but what happens when a bad thought hits your head? Because, you know, every now and then a, a real bad thought hits my head. <laughs> Shake. Real bad thoughts hit my head too. Real bad ones. I have buried people with my eyes. I just haven't bought the shovel for the dirt. But that's the truth. That's the truth. W what do you do with that? <laughs> First thing you do is you acknowledge that it's yours. And there's where confession starts. Oh, God, that I could think that. I know it doesn't please you. So work your forgiveness in my life and make me conscious of wanting to be clean. Lord Jesus, we do want to be clean.